Blog Talk Radio. Yes, welcome to uh, New Jersey School Board Association's Conversations on New Jersey Education. Uh, today, uh, it's the School of Law Today uh, edition, and we'll be talking about uh, student discipline procedures, uh, something that affects probably almost every single school district in the state, uh, something that boards of ed always have to deal with. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host uh, for this afternoon's program. With me is Bill Morlock, and Bill is an attorney with uh, Parker McKay. Um, Bill, welcome, and thank you for joining me. Thanks, Ray. And uh, just give me a little overview of uh, Parker McKay, who you guys serve, and how long uh, you've been with them. Of course. Um, Parker McKay uh, is in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, and our public schools and education department uh, serves and represents about 70 school districts in the state of New Jersey, um, dealing with really anything that a, a school district would, would have in terms of litigation needs. Okay, before we get into our start, uh, I just want to let people know if you have a question, you can dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and just press the number one, and that will let me know that you have a question, or we can just log into our chat room with that. Uh, you have to register with Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Bill, let's just go over um, really uh, student discipline. Uh, basically, what are some overviews before we get into the, the details of short, long-term, and everything else? Any uh, basic procedures that districts should be aware of? Sure. Um, you know, suspensions can be a difficult thing because there's so many different types of suspensions for different students and at each point in a suspension, um, th there can be different requirements placed on the district. Um, the kind of first first general one you'll deal with is, is a short-term suspension for a non-disabled student. Um, that is a suspension that is 10 days or less, um, and it's, I think, for lack of a better description, kind of the simplest one that we'll see. Um, you know, throughout this this podcast, um, when we speak about suspensions and the length of them, we're actually talking about the total cumulative days of suspensions over the course of the year. So 10 days and under short term, but if you have a four-day suspension and a four-day suspension and a three-day suspension, um, if you get any suspension on that 11th day, you're into long-term suspension, even though they were separate ones. Oh, so uh, just to follow up on that, so if a district uh, is has suspended someone a couple of times, they might want to just be aware of that because then the procedures change, even though that discipline may be for that specific uh, incident may be a short term, it's a cumulative. So they have to be monitoring students who might be in that category. That's exactly right, and it can really sneak up because it can be – you know, a few suspensions with the school district thinks of as minor, and, and, you know, they might be three months apart, and it won't even really be on the radar for, uh-oh, or all of a sudden we're in long-term suspension. Um, other than that transition from short-term to long-term, there are some requirements for short-term suspensions. Um, I'd say the most important of which is that on the fifth day, home instruction has to begin, um, a lot of parents will not want home instruction because they actually have to be there when it occurs, they're working. Um, if that's the case, we recommend that all school districts get that refusal for home instruction in writing. Um, 
The other requirements for short-term suspension, I would say, are, are largely um, self-fulfilling. Um, you have to give the student notice of, of what you say occurred. You have to explain to them the evidence. Um, and you have to eventually notify the parent really as soon as possible by the end of the day. All that really just happens as a matter of course, I think, in any school, regardless of what what regulations there may be. Uh, now, uh, that's for a uh, non-disabled student. Does anything change on that short-term disabled um, suspension if the student has a disability? Not much changes, but if the student has a disability, we are really going to want to um, put it on our radar um, and start looking at the suspension and the reasons for it a lot earlier. Um, one of the big changes, if it's a student with a disability, is we're immediately going to involve the student's case manager. Um, we we want to look at what is occurring, why was the student suspended, and we're going to be very aware for a disabled student that there has to be a manifestation determination once it gets to 11 days. And, and we'll, we'll talk more about manifestation determinations a little later, I think, because it's a pretty complicated process. Um, but for a short-term disabled student, you really want to get ready for the fact that you're going to be coming up upon, upon that manifestation determination, and you have to do it at the 10th day. Um, and really, I, I think just to be proactive, to try to see if there's a um, functional behavior assessment that, that can be implemented or modified or a behavior intervention plan that can be implemented or modified. Um, those are all things that, that the district should be doing to determine if there's something that A, is related to a disability, and B, that the district can be doing to help avoid whatever is causing these issues. All right, and I would guess, uh, particularly when we move into the long-term, uh, documentation of your procedures is probably pretty important uh, as you move forward. Like you kind of alluded to that before with the five, with the home instruction. Um, so it's important to follow the procedures and document that in any Absolutely. case, I guess. That's correct, and, and when we look at the case law, involving when school districts um, get jammed up in these cases, a lot of the times that there are things that I believe the school district probably really did consider and, and even discuss, but they're not mentioned in the paperwork. So if there's any sort of challenge to it and an administrative law judge looks at it, it's simply not in the record. So it, it can be as simple as, as listing things that were considered. I mean, obviously, in a best-case best scenario, we, we go into a little bit of depth and and reasoning, but it's really important to document this. Um, in terms of some best practices, um, I, I think it's important when there's a disabled student to keep your, your case manager involved, but make sure that the case manager doesn't become the suspension czar for this student. You know, case managers have a unique role where they're often, I think, viewed by families as really an advocate for their family. And it would be unfortunate in most cases to put them in a position where they could be at conflict um, with with a student's family because they're, you know, driving the the suspension car, for lack of a better term. 
So who should communicate to the parents? Uh, and it probably this is a little bit of a change because the case manager uh, is probably usually the first point of contact for the parents oftentimes. So in this case, if they get a communication, should it come from like the, the principal or one of the school administrators? Yeah, and that's not to say that, that the case manager wouldn't communicate with parents, but in general, it should be coming from principal, vice principal. Um, really, usually there'll be one or two individuals in each school that, that's a, in that level of administrator that will deal with student discipline. Um, the other thing that, that the school can do in a short-term suspension, along with looking at an FBA or a behavior intervention plan, um, they might be able to locate with, with the assistance of their case manager an issue, a very particular issue, like, you know, Bobby really seems to be getting in trouble and out of hand in the hallway, or he's really having issues at lunch or in this particular class. And it can be something where um, there, there could be a fairly easy fix. You know, we're going to get him a, a shared aid for this unstructured time. Um, maybe we need to implement counseling. But um, looking at it early can, can really help not get into the long-term suspension realm. So it's uh, a best practice is be a little proactive uh, uh, in this area. And uh, if you see something coming to – and a case manager might be the first one or some of the teachers might know earlier. Exactly. I mean, usually it's the case manager who who will be involved and and interface with the teachers, and the fact of the suspension will, will usually be pretty clear. And I think upon any further investigation, you might find that it's a recurring theme. You know, this student it seems to be having a conflict with this other student, and it's escalating. And those are those are pretty simple fixes. All right, let's switch. A yeah. Let's switch a little to long term because we talked about the sh short term and hopefully they don't accumulate into uh, long term. Is the only difference with the long term that it's more than 10 days or is it? Uh, is there anything else that you have to do as a board so, for the non-disabled student? The, the difference is, like you said, 11 days or more, but the main requirement that is different is that if you're going to suspend a student for 11 days or more, they are uh, entitled to a formal hearing before the Board of Education. Um, if there's going to be a long-term suspension, the parents have to be immediately notified. Uh, within two school days, the parents need to understand um, what their allegations are against their student and their right to a formal hearing. And then the board would have to provide a list of witnesses, um, I believe five days before the formal hearing, um, and inform the parents that, that they have the right to, to bring an attorney. And that can often work out to be almost like a mini trial. Um, I, I think in most cases that we see, the students generally admit their conduct, and um, a, lot of, a lot of times the facts aren't in question. Oftentimes, we will see parents come in at these hearings and and try to communicate to the board that that they 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 realize this was an issue and they're sorry and they're dealing with it and ask that the punishment be lessened. And that um, that hearing will occur 
um, within 30 days of the suspension. Now, I'm guessing on a lot of these suspensions and uh, and other uh, student discipline, uh, it's really set in board policy, uh, or at least some of it is to establish a district policy. That's completely correct. It'll, almost every district will have a student code of um, conduct handbook, and there will be um, almost like a, a matrix um, uh, set uh, suspensions for a particular behavior. Um, a lot of times you'll see those suspensions being four days when you think, hmm, maybe, why, I would have thought that would have been five, six, seven, and that's often because of home instruction starting at day five. Um, okay. But but the board uh, will uh, – sorry, go ahead. No, you finished your point. The board, you know, the board will consider um, various factors in the long-term suspension for a, a non-disabled student, and they might look at past conduct that the the student, um, you know, confessed to what they did. And you, you'll often see a board say, not often, but there are certainly times when the board will say, um, you know, well, we think we, we think this was a one-time thing. It seems like a good student admitted conduct and. Uh, this the proposed suspension seems harsh, um, or you know the inverse that that this 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 seems like a big problem, and we think that we should be taking it very seriously. Uh, does the district have to uh, provide uh, home instruction uh, once it becomes a long-term uh, discipline? They do. Yeah, it's still same um, same requirement that after on the fifth day, home instruction is required. Um, again, a, lo a lot of parents will uh, waive that, and as long as it's in writing, the district can cannot do home instruction. Okay. Now, what happens if a student has a disability? Is there anything else that the district has to do? In this case, I would imagine there would be a couple of differences here. There, there are. This is where it gets particularly tricky, and where districts can run into problems a little bit. What, what you mentioned before is is all of a sudden the 11th day sneaks up on them and oh man like we ha we have to organize all these meetings and a manifestation determination so hopefully it's calendared and there's emails going back and forth within the district saying you know we're on we're on day 6 we're on day 7 we got to get we got to get this together um within 10 school days of a long term suspension uh, for a disabled student, the school and the IEP team uh, should should review what occurred. If they determine that whatever this student did was caused by or had a substantial relationship to the student's disability, um, they should be placed off of suspension. Um, oh, okay. That is also true if the reason it occurred in the school's estimation was that they failed to implement the IEP. So just for kind of an extreme example, if you had a student uh, with you know, ADHD who was on the spectrum, who gen the IEP called for them to have a one-on-one -on -one aid, that aid was not there for whatever reason, and student acted out, that might be a reason why uh, you'd say, well, geez, under this, we, we, we really can't suspend the student here. Um, 
speaking more to this manifestation determination because we often get a lot of of questions from clients about we understand that there's special considerations when there is a long-term suspension of a disabled student and that if it's related to their disability we, we do have to take them off suspension there, there are um, exceptions to that and that is a student with a disability may be suspended up to 45 days if the suspension involves uh, possession of a weapon, um, illegal drugs, or uh, serious bodily injury, which which I think makes sense. You know, regardless of of why or what or how weapons, drugs, or bodily injury are occurring, that's something that we we take very seriously in schools. Um, if it is a disabled student and the district is seeking a suspension more than 45 days, that has to go before um, the Office of Administrative Law and an ALJ has to make that determination. Um, that is something that we would very rarely see um, with a student with a disability because once you're hitting um, asking a court for longer than a 45-day suspension, it, it can come into question whether or not the school the student is in is, is really the correct placement for them. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, is there any uh, – who does the manifestation uh, determination? That will be a, a meeting um, with the – really the IEP team um, that the student already has in place because of their um, disability. And, and they're going to look at um, the student's specific disability and the conduct and try to determine whether or not it was the disability was, was directly related to the cause of it. Um, they also might find from a more practical standpoint that while maybe it's not directly related, that it can be fixed through a behavior plan or, or something of the sort. And they may make the determination that it's it's related, and they may do that because they they think that they can fix it um, through supports. Okay, uh, we're talking with Bill Morlock, and Bill's an attorney with Parker McKay, and he's talking about the student discipline procedures uh, that a district should be following. If you have a question, you can dial one three four seven nine eight nine. 8904 and just press number one and I'll uh, put you up to ask Bill a question or you can just type it into the the chat room. Uh, how uh, When someone is suspended, a long-term suspension, and there's a hearing, how quickly does the board have to meet to do that uh, hearing? Uh, the, the board has to meet for the long-term suspension within 30 days um, of the long-term suspension. And that will be the full hearing with um, presenting witnesses um, and the parents there, potentially with an attorney with the ability to ask questions and attempt to convince the board that the long-term suspension is not warranted. Um, again, in nine out of ten cases, the students already admitted their conduct to a vice principal or a principal, and the that hearing – becomes rather moot. And does the board uh, have to uh, 
can they set any time that they want for this meeting, or do, should they consult with the, the parents? Uh, generally speaking, the, the board, in, in, in our experience, will do these meetings um, prior to a regularly scheduled board meeting, and they'll simply inform the parents of when it will occur. Obviously, you know, they use their judgment if, if the parents have a conflict, and they'll, they'll try to work with that. Um, I wanted to go over some uh, case laws that you might have, because uh, I know I, I heard you uh, talk about this. Well, first of all, before I get into it, what are some of the mistakes that a district might make in this, whether purposefully or usually it's an, an oversight? I, I think that it's a really tricky analysis to determine whether or not a student – let's, let's just make a general example. A student pushing another student in the hallway is related to whatever disability they may have. Maybe mm -hmm. it's ADHD. Um, you know, maybe they're emotionally disturbed. You know, it could be any number of, of classifications. And it's a really fluid question as as to whether or not one particular action is related. Um, when we look at the case law in the state of New Jersey, it becomes apparent that the court really takes issue when they think the district isn't looking at certain things. And by that I mean there's no mention of the fact that uh, the student was going through turmoil at home because their father had moved out of the house and their mom was in the hospital. Um, if something like that has occurred, it should absolutely be in the findings of the board. And I think the court cares less about how the board um, applied that knowledge to say, well, this means it is or isn't related to this disability. But they more just want to know that the board considered it. Um, there's a, a, a case where a student was found with a small amount of drugs and um, essentially admitted to it. The, the, they asked if they could search the student's truck. He said yes. When they did, they found a large knife. I, I believe it was a machete, um, which he said, I'm so sorry, I, I forgot about that. I do landscaping on the weekend, which I, I believe the court believed was true that he did landscaping. And um, the district found that the, the machete was not related to his ADHD. Um, the court sent it back and said it would make sense that somebody with ADHD might forget a tool from their landscaping business um, that they were using over the weekend. But moreover, the, the, the board didn't appear to put any weight in the fact that this student's uh, father had, had a very serious illness and was in the hospital. And with all those things in mind, it, it very well could have been that forgetting that that was in his car was related uh, to the disability. And it was really the, the court, I think, was offended that the board appeared to not con even consider those things. I don't think they were so offended with the conclusion. So uh, from what you're saying, it seems that the, uh, the district and the board should make sure they uh, explore, get all, as much information as they can and not ignore some information because it seems like from what you're saying is the court 
expect you to do due diligence in terms of your investigation. Exactly, and and I think that when it comes to um, a long-term suspension of a disabled student, the, the district is going to rely heavily upon their child study team and and the IEP team. They're, they're, those are folks that that are experts in their field, and they will deal with you know um, 75 students in in one building with ADHD, and they're going to be able hopefully to sort the facts out, know the student, um, and try to determine whether or not it's related to the disability. And should the say, uh, you kind of you said that, that the board usually will rely very heavily on the building administrators who were there. Are there questions that they or the super, the you know, maybe the superintendent should be asking to make sure things are done uh, uh, of these building administrators that would help the district down the road uh, when the, they present this case to the either the, the superintendent and or the board? Yeah, I, I think that it, it's really understanding not only the student's disability, but just the facts surrounding what's going on with them, maybe at home, um, and then relating the actions to um, what's been going on with that student. And that's the beauty um, of, of having teachers and administrators in the building involved, you know, they'll they'll know that information and if, if they don't know it, they'll they'll certainly be able to get it. Um usually when when a student is suspended, there's a pretty there's there's a pretty big deal. There's, you know, the the student is is um addressed in um a vice principal's office and other students are interviewed that may or may not have witnessed it and they might view uh, video camera footage um it's a pretty often a pretty impressive um investigation for lack of a better term um so that um fact gathering should also transition just to to what's going on with the student cuz at, at the end of the day it's it's usually a a 15 year old kid that that messed up and um, I want to go a little bit. Um, there's a case in the the Maine Law Regional Board, uh, and this I think in this case it was a the manifest determination, at least from the court, was that the the student's um, disability didn't really have an effect on the uh, wasn't a it didn't affect the discipline uh, problem. Yeah, I mean there's 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 good examples of of the idea that that students might have a disability. I mean, and like, let's say, for instance, to, to make an extreme example, say the student has dyslexia. It's going to be really hard to say um, that, you know, Susan brought the gun to school because of her dyslexia. Now, obviously, again, an extreme example, and that's also an exception um, to the manifestation determination. But 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 those those two things don't really jive. You're not going to be able to 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 say that dyslexia is the reason that the gun coming to school happened. Mm hmm. Um, as we move forward, uh, is there any uh, recommendations you have for districts as they move forward with the student discipline problems? Any final thoughts? Because we're coming fairly close to our time. Yeah, I mean, I, I would. I would just be sure to really involve the child study team when there's anything involving a student with a disability and discipline. Um, 
And that's that's even if it's a short-term suspension of a non-disabled student. But if there's any suggestion by the parent or maybe even, um, you know, the discipline causes suspicion within the district that, that maybe the student has some um, unidentified disability, that the district um, really look at it closely and think about it and, and try to, to follow the letter of the law because if they don't do that, there, there's a lot of pitfalls that, that we've discussed that, that can occur. And I, I didn't ask you this, but I probably should. Is there a, does the age of the child or the grade of the child have an impact in any of these procedures uh, at all? It, it certainly will. I mean, I think just from a practical standpoint that, that we these are, when we think long-term suspension, we are almost always um, dealing with high school students. Now, that's not to say that they're, and, and potentially middle school. Um, the the younger the student, especially with disability, I think it's it's more likely that you would find that their behavior was linked to the disability. Likewise, I think that the younger the student, the more likely it's going to be that you, you don't have a behavior plan in place. Um, and if you do, you're, you're probably still trying to modify it to, to really fit the kid. So, you know, that that might cause, especially let's say for a nine-year-old, um, a more comprehensive behavior intervention plan being developed in response. Okay. And I guess even with the younger one, it might be that the, the discipline will cause you to maybe reevaluate their IEP a little bit and say we have to do a different plan as opposed to a high school student. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of times we will, districts will have students that the, to date, the disability and the child study team have been focusing on the educational aspect. And oftentimes it is a suspension, even just a short-term minor one, which causes the district to say, you know what, maybe there's a functional behavior assessment or a behavior intervention plan that, that we need to be developing because it, it seems like there's a behavior aspect of this as well. Okay. Uh, well, I'd like to thank you, Bill, for joining us on this uh, podcast. Uh, and if anyone has any questions, they can reach out to me, uh, and I'll forward them on to Bill. So uh, thank you, Bill. Thanks a lot, Ray. appreciate it. Okay, thank you, and ha everyone have a good afternoon. Thanks.